Hello, hello, and welcome back to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and it feels so good to be back. I've missed you all so, so much. Of course, Food Network Obsessed was taking a break for a few weeks over the holidays and during the start of January, but we are back in 2022 and bringing you new weekly episodes with more Food Network stars. So make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Our very first episode of 2022 is a great one. Today, we have a Filipino chef on the podcast sharing his passion for Southeastern Asian cuisine, his New Year's intentions, and why you should give Spam a chance. He's a chef, entrepreneur, TV host, and now a judge on Food Network's brand new show, Raid the Fridge. It's Jordan Andino. Jordan, welcome to the podcast and happy new year. How did you celebrate the holidays this year? This year, it was pretty mellow. I just went with the wife's family to Jersey on Thursday and Friday of like Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve. And then Christmas Day flew to Canada and then met up with my family there. And it was just, you know, spending time with people. It's it's something that after last the past couple of years has been a little bit more difficult. So it's I'm like, all right, cool. Let, let's see people, you know, spend quality time. Yes. Very, very important. Are you a resolutions person? And if so, can you share any of yours you, you have for 2022? I'm not a resolutions person. I'm more of like, or maybe they're called resolutions, but I just like every year I like to set goals for myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I, intentions. Yeah. Yeah. In- intentions, you know, and, and I, I, it's not like, all right, be a better person this year, which cause like, I kind of always try to be, but yeah. I would say, you know, this year it's more, it's just about focusing on, the right things mentally in terms of my professional life, my personal life, and having a, a better work-life balance because typically there's no balance. It's just work. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I would say also just trying to hit like, you know, some fiscal goals within my businesses, I would say is, is the other thing. Other than that, just want to have fun and enjoy the year. I have a feeling this year might be a big one. I, I hope so. I hope I hope that for all of us, really. Yeah. Um, and we're definitely going to talk about, you know, all of those things you just mentioned, you know, your your work, your TV career, your personal. So let's let's kick it off with some personal questions. You were named one of uh, Zagat's 30 hottest chefs under 30 in 2016. <laughs> Looking back, what did your 20s look like when you were working to, you know, just establish yourself and your career? It's funny. Okay. So a quick note on that. People always, yes, please. Oh, people always think about when they, they bring that up. That was brought up before. And it's, it's, it specifically meant like hottest careers. Like, like this person is trending upwards in, in, <laughs> in the career, but people all along have always kind of gone back and forth on the meaning of what does it mean to be the, you know, hottest. hottest. And I'm like, well, listen, it's the career. It's the career. But uh, but I'll take I'll take it if it's the other way. Um, but you know when it when it comes to kind of my career and like goals and and whatnot like and you know what I'm setting forth before I was thirty till now I'm now thirty three. I've had like this kind of path in my life and I've always set long term or what I thought were long term goals. When I was young, I was like, all right, I want to own one restaurant and be executive chef in in New York City and be a chef restaurateur and just you know live life in New York City and. And I was like young, I was like 10, 12 dreaming that. So when I got that, when I was 26, I was like, okay, so I own a restaurant in the West Village. Um, this was my life goal. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, I think I need to set some more loftier goals here. Span that a little bit. Yeah. So now, you know, I've 
now I'm, I'm more about, uh, I want to be a champion for the Filipino culture, heritage and, and country. I want to, I want to speak up for second gen immigrants that have come here from various countries. And also, you know, I have goals of becoming a Michelin star chef myself. You know, I think, you know, media is fun and I enjoy being a personality on both on TV and for brands and whatnot, but my heart isn't cooking. And I was very, very fortunate to find that when I was super young. And so that is definitely what I, although I'm not pursuing it as intensely as I used to be right now, I know that inevitably I'm going back to that. What is the most valuable lesson you think you learned during your 20s? There's so many lessons, but I think my number one lesson that I take with me day in and day out is that you're only as good as your weakest link within your own organization. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're someone that wants to grow even just a single business, you're only as good as the best person who's there when you're not. And and there's from there, there's a lot of kind of, you know, ancillary kind of lessons that I've learned, one of which being no one will ever care about your business ever more than you. And for some reason, you you take that personally when you're young or when you just start your business and people don't care as much. They don't try as hard. They're not giving it their all day in and day out. You're like, yo, what are you doing? Just come here and work and be <laughs> passionate and love it. And no one's ever going to believe in your dreams other than yourself. So that's one thing that I learned from knowing that, okay, if that's the case, then you got to find the next best thing. And that's where finding amazing people, dedicated people, people who believe in what you're doing, believe in you. And, you know, that's been the hardest thing to find both in my personal, professional, like relationships. It's just, it's hard to get people to buy into your vision. Yeah, that's super important. Um, I mean, you mentioned that this has been a dream of yours for a very long time. Is there anything about the lifestyle of a chef that you didn't really expect? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, growing up, you think, yeah, I'm going to cook. I'm going to have a restaurant and it's going to be great. And then you don't realize that the better you become as a chef, the less you cook. <laughs> and, the, and I'm just like, this is terrible. Like, I would like to just cook and experiment and be creative and innovative and work the line and then have a beer with the team afterwards or whatnot. And it's not like that at all. Like, like if you want to have multiple restaurants of different concepts in different cities and get your brand and grow your name, it involves very little cooking as a matter of fact. And I'm just like, oh, well, that sucks. But but it's it's fun. It's cool. And it's uh, it's a great opportunity. What parts of it do you love? I, I, it's only really one reason. And obviously it has a lot of different characteristics. But the reason is whenever, you're, whenever I'm cooking, you know, we as chefs, we have the ability to create something that people can enjoy. It's not just about the food. We're creating an experience in where people who come from different socio socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities, cultures, areas, ages, um, thought processes, everything but you can join them together over food. doesn't have to be good. It could just be food, food and drink and a good time. And you create that. And after that, who knows what's going to happen at the end of that, that dinner or that meal or that experience. And the fact that I can create that kind of magic, because when you're there and you hear the click clanking of the cutlery and the plates and laughter and yelling and boisterous behavior and scratching of tables. And it's just, it's alive. Like you created this environment, this room that experiences may never be had again. And to be able to create that is why I'm a chef to this day. I mean, you alluded to it that, that you, you really started cooking at, at a young age with your dad. What do you remember just about being in the kitchen with him? Coming from a, a Filipino, Asian family, like, you know, you're pretty much just always wanting to impress your parents and please them. <laughs> That's number one. And then number two, my dad being a chef and an Asian chef, you're just like, all right, I'm never going to win this. <laughs> so you grow up 
I, so my mom moved and I moved to LA. She was going to pursue modeling and acting uh, when I was 10. And then so every summer, winter, fall and spring break, I would go back to Toronto where my dad was a chef and then spend time with him. But he's a chef. So how often like, are you going to spend time with him? You're going to do it if you want to spend time with him in a kitchen. So I did that and it was tough. Like I, I would say my the beginning of our relationship up until the past 20 years has been a little tumultuous at times, but it's because he expects and demands greatness. And because of that, I know what the benchmark of what I want to be and what I want to do in my professional life and career. And I also have an expectation of what I want my cooks and my employees to, to act and treat their job. And so, you know, I learned from him what it takes to be passionate, ambitious and, and goal oriented. And also that it's not all fun and games, you know, like if you want to be successful, nothing is going to replace hard work. Do you remember like the first meal that you just nailed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was 10 years old. I was visiting back. I was in pastry at this restaurant called North 44 in Toronto. Uh, it's closed. It's now closed, unfortunately. And my dad was the, he was a CDP at the time, chef de partie for all of you who don't know, which is a, a position within a kitchen, um, like salads or hot appetizers or dessert. Those are all CDPs. And when I was there, like, you know, my dad's working. So he's like, Hey, go and go over in dessert and pastry. They're not going to hurt you there. Like you can, you can't really harm yourself and, and you can just learn and watch. So I was back there. Uh, I remember I made like 11 or 12 of them for paying customers. And I was 10. It was mm -hmm. a apple crostata with a cinnamon ice cream, caramel, a vanilla caramel, and then uh, like a vanilla cookie swirl. And I made all elements of it throughout the day and then end up selling 12 of them throughout the, that evening. And so that, wow. that was like my first thing. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm making these for customers and they're paying for it. And I'm in a 10 year old made it. And it was amazing. <laughs> have, you, have you made that uh, recently at all? You know what? Fun fact, I've never made it since then. And now, really? now that you said that, I'm going to make that for my next dinner that I'm doing. I think you, 100%. I think you have to, I think that, and you got to tell the story. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Was it easy to, to choose your career path? Did you know that this was for sure what you wanted to do? Or did you kind of consider some other options? No, I never considered anything else. I, I mean, when you're growing up, you, you like, uh, like I was doing construction or guarding on and off or some, and then I would even model when I was younger and I was just like, all right, this is not, all of this is not for me. My dad, I, another fun story. I was like 13 or 14 now at another visit. Like I'm full on working the line. I'm working the Fry Pizza Station. It's a similar station, although typically not. It shouldn't be, but that's the station I was working. <laughs> and I was working that station, and my and we had a successful service. My dad brings me out, and like I'm a little 14 year old. He like looks around. He goes see all these people, and he brings me to the side. And I'm like, yeah. What about them? They're all my coworkers and my friends. He goes, you're better now than they are, and maybe will ever be now. Wow. And so think about that when you're choosing your career. And I was like, wow, A, is that a compliment? <laughs> I was like, this one, that's crazy. But, no, but, but also the second part of that is like, wow, like I, I didn't realize that I had a calling or that I was good at anything. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I think, I think I could actually make a career out of it. And so that's when I really went deep into pursuing my culinary career, although it really started when I was 10. Yeah. Speaking of your modeling career, I, I loved uh, you, you posting some of the old pictures over the holidays uh, on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah. That was good stuff. I think you, I think you could have done it. You, you were you were kind of being hard on yourself, but it was good stuff. It was it was I mean, I, I had to try my mom. That's literally what she did <laughs> is and will always do for her life. And and so, you know, it's something that it's a it's an industry that I've been around. And I've done yeah. some stuff in the past and, and I'm like, you know, like this is fun and whatever. But uh, it's, it's just, 
I'm a very passionate person and I'm not going to do something unless my heart is in it. Well, clearly your heart has been in culinary. You attended Cornell University School of Hotel Administration. What were you able to learn there that you didn't learn in the kitchen with your dad? You know, you are a knife, right? You're, you start out dull and throughout the years, you are constantly sharpening and honing your blade, your craft, you. As I was doing that, I realized and as a young teenager, I was like, I need to, I may have this raw skill, but I need to be polished as a business person in order to succeed in my life. And I guess you would chalk that up to my family, you know, reinforcing that kind of model in my head. And so I was like, all right, I got to go somewhere that's, that's going to help polish my business end because I have the raw skill to run a restaurant. You know, I had a tumultuous relationship growing up with my parents. So my dad being in Toronto, me being in LA, I was like, all right, where's the furthest I can be from my mom and my dad? And I was like, oh, <laughs> Ithaca, New York. That's it. So that's why I chose, I chose Cornell. Uh, well, that's one of the reasons, but also because it's one of the best, you know, hospitality schools in, in the country world. I don't know which one. I learned to be polished there. I learned to be sharp. I, I learned the business acumen that I needed, the the industry and networking abilities that you need to have. I, I learned how to present yourself amongst different types of cultures and groups because, you know, as as much as I am myself, no matter what, you know, there you, you there is a way to kind of maneuver yourself socially and in a networking sense to honestly help get what you want and taught me how to run a business. And And now as we sit here, I have five restaurants. Wow. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> How much of being a successful chef is being a savvy business person? I think being a successful chef is, se- is separate than being a savvy business person because I think there's successful chefs all over the world and, and, and success is also a very subjective term and you can be successful in many, in many different ways. But I would say that in order to be a successful chef, you have to either be a successful business person or know a successful business person or someone that's savvy. Mm. So I am very, very fortunate that the people whom I've worked with, I've partnered with to this day are dedicated, passionate, ambitious people whom I can trust that help run all my businesses because there's no way I could do it all alone. In fact, I'm, mm. I'm legitimately like, like I would say per organization, I am just 20% of every single of the organizations that I'm part of. I mean, you've lived, you've lived all over, as you mentioned, Toronto, LA, New York City now. How have all these different places really helped shape your culinary career and your culinary point of view? Yeah, I've, I've lived in metropolitan cities for my whole life. And I, I've really enjoyed it because it's allowed me to experience just like small elements of all these different cultures from Bangladesh, Mexican, French, Italian, Greek, uh, you know, Vietnamese, Chinese, Filipino, Malay, Cambodian. Mm, like I, there's just so many different like foods and places and people that I've experienced because of where I've lived, you know, I've just been inspired by all these different flavors. And I constantly see food as a ever evolving and developing kind of creature that you can kind of pull different things from. And, you know, combining different cuisines and flavors and ingredients is something that's so much fun for me. And I'm just fortunate that I've been able to grow up in places that have that have had all these uh, this access to different cultures that have allowed me to kind of taste and really grow my own palate and my own, I would say, exposure to those different um, foods. And you own a, a Filipino taqueria in West Village, mm-hmm. Flip Siggy. Um, first of all, where does the name come from? Flip Siggy, funny enough, uh, Flip is actually a derogatory term for a Filipino. Uh, I'm not gonna say what it means now, but I will say <laughs> that, you know, older Fili- generations of Filipinos, they uh, they don't really appreciate it. But I think it's a word that as it, as the true and, you know, horrible, horrible meaning kind of dies out. It's a word that we as a Filipino, as Filipinos can retake and 
claim is ours. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I'm proud to do so. And I also like to live life on the like slightly on the edge a little bit. And so <laughs> flip as it just means Filipino and say Gabe, it, it means like a bunch of different things. I spell it a little bit more phonetically, but what, it, it could mean yell or scream or hurry or let's go or means go. So essentially the name means go Filipino. And, you know, I've, of course, I've, I wanted to name it that um, and just kind of embrace what Filipino culture is, but is not authentically from the homeland. I want to, I want people to experience what my vision and my lens is of what I see Filipino as, as it is and what it can become eventually too. So what is that? What, what cultures kind of come together to influence what we see on the menu at your restaurant? Well, so, uh, so Flip Segi, it's a Filipino taqueria. So it's like Filipino foods, Mexican American vessels. So like sandwiches, tacos, bowls, burritos, but with a little bit of Filipino love kind of sprinkled all about, I've said that about a thousand times. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> you're it, good at it. You it, got it down. It really comes through. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I've, I've taken, essentially here's where it, where it came from. I took all of the conversations and lessons that I learned from all of my Hispanic coworkers. I've learned so much, pretty much from anyone that can speak Spanish, from any Spanish speaking country. I've learned so much about their food and it, I don't know what, what it is, but I, I have this magnetic tie to that. And, and I just enjoy the food and, and, and the processes and the love and the passion, the fieriness that goes into those, the, the flavors and the, and the techniques. And I learned that through the people I worked with and then combine that with what I grew up eating with my, my grandmother and my family. And I was just realizing, I'm like, wow, like not only are like the words the same, but the foods and can very much translate and effortlessly go in and out of each other's cuisines and substitute each other and still taste delicious and be authentic on, on either side of that Filipino or, or um, Spanish coin. But I definitely take a lot from uh, Mexico. So I, th- I think that Filipino f- food in general, it's an amalgamation of Filipino cuisine, Chinese and as well as Spain, Spanish cuisine. So it, it, it evolves and takes all these different ingredients and, and also techniques and creates this delicious, uh, just flavor bomb of sour, <laughs> of sweet, of tangy, of spicy that all goes perfectly over rice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. If somebody's going there for the first time, what, what should they order? Well, if you're going to flip Siggy, you immediately got to get my number one dish. It's a burrito. It's called a Cali burrito. And in it mm-hmm. are crispy French fries with pork and chicken adobo, which is meat that's been braised in soy vinegar, garlic, bay leaves, and pepper for about three to six hours, depending. Then we shred that, put that in the burrito with guacamole, pico de gallo, sour cream, some cheese, and then wrap that up, get it nice and toasty and crunchy. And it might be one of the best burritos you've ever had. So that's definitely definitely one of the things you got to get. And then next is also on the burrito side. It's called my plan B burrito. (laughs) And it's a way to cure that, that weekend hangover or any hangover. And it has longanisa, which is like a sweet barbecue Filipino sausage, hash brown, bacon, avocado, spam, which is literally one of my favorite canned foods ever. Mm-hmm. Foods, not even canned, foods ever. Cheese, <laughs> roasted tomato, jalapeno, chipotle salsa. I said a hash brown egg and just wrapped in a burrito. It's just like the perfect way to start your day. Yeah, I remember we, we did an Instagram live early in quarantine and yeah. I remember you talking about that and uh, sounds, I still need to, I still need to try it. But now you're opening another location in Jersey City soon. What, what kind of challenges have you faced just kind of expanding the business? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot because you realize, and it's kind of the hearkening back to your first question about me and, you know, what my lessons are that I've learned from my twenties into now. And, you know, it's, as you expand, you realize that, oh, like I got to fill this role. I, I need to be able to rely on someone to train these people. And that's when you realize you might be missing some crucial roles. So that's what you, you got to 
either incubate your talent that you have already and help train them and, you know, give them some tutelage and mentorship and guidance, or you got to hire from outside, but and either both work well, but I'm just learning that if I'm going to grow, I need a large group of people that can help me grow. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's tough. Cause right now I'm expanding. Yes. To Jersey city. That'll be opening in about like less than a month. And then I have Chicago also opening in about less than a month, almost simultaneously. Wow. Then I have Chelsea, which will be opening in about two months. And then I have this other spot that I'll tease now that I'm involved with that will be opening in the West Village. And it's my first, it's my foray back into fine dining. Well, does this have anything to do with, you know, I know you mentioned it earlier in this, in this conversation that you, you have this passion to, to bring a Michelin star to Filipino cuisine. Is this going to be along those lines? This will be the first step towards okay. that. I, I think after, so I'm fine dining trained and then I went over to Flip Siggy and I've had Flip Siggy and lived in the more fast casual world for the past six years. So I need, I can't just jump right back into a fine dining concept or just any, you know, upper scale dining concept Mm -hmm. and think that I'm going to get a Michelin star. I'm not that (laughs) ignorant. So this is my first way to kind of get back, dip my toes in the water, my little toesies in the water to see if I can, you know, still handle it, still want to do it, still have the passion for it. And then after this one, then yes, this will be the precursor to what I hopefully consider will be the first Michelin star, or at least one of the, and not even first, one of the Michelin stars in Filipino cuisine. Why is that important to you? I I think that Filipinos have been poo-pooed on for a long time and honestly denigrated by many cultures throughout our, my cultures and country's history. And I think it'll feel, and it already has felt really good to champion Filipino cuisine and, and people. And so I think that in at least food is a way that I can impact, leave a legacy and also make Filipinos proud to be Filipino. And I think, you know, one, two, three, whatever it is, Michelin stars in Filipino cuisine is, is, is a, is not the only way, but it's a nice way to, like I said, leave a legacy and, and put a stamp of approval and understand that just cause this isn't your, you know, Eurocentric, you know, fine dining that we've seen and kind of grown accustomed to. That doesn't mean you can't create amazing flavor and give impeccable service and show people that even at a, in a third world country that the, you know, most delicious, beautiful and, you know, taste defying things can come from. That's really beautiful. And and by the way, this is our first time, you know, kind of diving in deep on the podcast with a Filipino chef. So I am curious just to talk to you a little bit more about that. What are some of the hallmarks of Filipino cuisine, whether it's, you know, ingredients or, you know, method of preparation? Well, some of the like defining characteristics of it is number one is whole animal fabrication. But so what that means is because we as Filipinos don't necessarily have abundant access to freezers and refrigeration, then everything we use, we got to use that animal and fabricate the entire thing. So we're using everything from the hooves to the eyes, the feet, the cheeks, the tongue, the brain, the stomach lining, the stomach, the blood, everything, as well as your loins and your tenders and your thighs and your butts and your, you know, all the other parts. So what that means is you have to also try to use ingredients that can help kind of take down some of the metallic flavor, some of the gaminess or some of the awful flavor that you get from what you use. And so with that, we're using strong ingredients, onion, garlic, ginger, vinegars, sugars, some spicy um, peppers. So that way it, it can kind of temper some of those really intense ingredients. Um, but furthermore, you're going to get a very big kind of braising and fried kind of type here because you can do those two things over a long period of time. It also sustains the food longer once it's cooked. So Filipino food and our techniques are born mainly out of necessity rather than of convenience. And so 
I would say you're if you're going to eat Filipino food and you're listening to this and you've never heard about it before, you can expect to have definitely a balance of sweet and acidic things. So tanginess, but sweet and acid in pretty much everything that you have. Get ready for some pork, baby. Because <laughs> we love we love our swine. Other than that, we also got to have rice with pretty much everything. We love our plantains and we very much love adobo, which is something I mentioned before. It's the national dish of the Philippines. It, it's braised any meat, beef, pork, chicken, fish, take your pick, but you got to have vinegar. You got to have soy sauce, garlic, bay leaves, and pepper. From there, some people add coconut, some people add ginger, some people add annatto seed. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but that's like really your base of the national dish of the Philippines. Would that be like your favorite Filipino comfort dish as well? Or is there something else that that really, you know, brings it home for you? That's definitely one of my favorite dishes. I love me some lumpia, which is like a Filipino mm. spring roll, fried spring roll. I love me some sisig, which is pork jowl fried with ginger and, and onion and shallot and garlic, and then served crispy and sizzling. I also got to tell you, I love a good sinigang, which is this. It's typically beef, but it can have fish or pork broth like our heavy soup and it, and it has like bok choy and Chinese long bean and taro root and yam and carrot and onion. And it gives you this tamarind sour, but also Yum. like a consomme where it's light. So it's not too heavy of a soup. You pour that over rice and just gives you the most amazing flavor. I'm salivating as I'm describing it to you. <laughs> Same. And I know you want you want justice for spam, which uh, <laughs> yeah. became a, a common household, you know, staple in many Pacific Island households after it was introduced during World War Two. And we have a producer who is actually obsessed with spam musubi. So selfishly, she wants to know what are some other things we can do with spam? All right. Ready? So if, yeah. if you love spam and everyone should love spam because it's just so delicious. Don't knock it till you fry it. This is not a spam ad, anyone. I just love <laughs> spam. So here's what you do. It's called spam eggs and rice. You're going to make jasmine rice in the morning. Slice the spam out of the can so it's thin, long, kind of wooden planks, similar to like a, it lo should look like a card, like a playing card, but a little bit thicker. Then you're going to fry it in just a little bit of vegetable oil, both sides. Fry it on medium high for about two minutes each side. Get it nice and crispy. Then you're going to throw in that same pan where you rendered some of the spam fat out of. You're going to throw in two eggs, serve sunny side up. Put that on, on top of the rice, then put a, about a half tablespoon of soy sauce, some sriracha, break that up, and there's your spam eggs and rice in the morning. Believe me, you are not having a better breakfast than what I just described. <laughs> it sounds amazing. You're going to have, you know, spam and rice in a, in a Filipino household. What are some other fridge and pantry staples that, that we could find in a typical, you know, household in the Philippines? Okay, so you're always going to have garlic just, just chilling. In any form, you got garlic, it's there. You're going to have your bay leaves. You're going to have your annatto seeds, which is just, it gives, it's almost, it gives you like a saffron kind of flavor and also color. But it's, it, um, in terms of the flavor that you're going to get, it's different in that it's a little bit more richer. It's obviously a seed. So it's, has that heavier spice kind of to it. It's not, it's not like a flower. And then you're also going to have vinegar. Dati puti, if you don't have that, then you're not Filipino. Like, like I think every Filipino watch listening to this can attest to it. Dati puti vinegar is delicious and amazing. And it, it, it's a sugar cane vinegar. And it's just, it's not sweet, but it has like this immense and impeccable kind of pucker sour that makes you go, ooh, every time you eat it. <laughs> and then you're also going to have some, port of, some sort of pig, the belly, okay. the jowl, the, the butt, the tender, whatever, but you're, or the whole pig, which we call lechon. And we, and we roast that on a spit. So there's a lot of different things that you can have, but typically those base spices that I started with are what you're going to constantly see in a Filipino fridge or pantry. 
When we come back, Jordan talks all about judging the new show, Raid the Fridge, on Food Network. Well, speaking of staples, let's talk about your new Food Network show, <laughs> Raid the Fridge. Yes. Um, so it's kind of the, the essence of a food competition show, but the surprise ingredients lie within actual people's refrigerators. So intriguing and scary all at the same time. Uh, what were your thoughts when you were approached uh, to judge this show? I remember flying to Atlanta. Then my host would be a comedian. And then I, Jamika, who we've actually met in the past before. So I was like, I love Jamika. I didn't know what to think about Dana Dude. I was like, this guy seems funny. I love that he's on Netflix and, you know, and, and has his comedic side, but also is on another show. He brings a fun, dynamic, new type of host to the Food Network lineup. And not just that, the, the, the concept is amazing. You're taking fridges from all around the country and making any chef cook with it. And it's, it's funny because how many people go, if you're a chef, like come to my fridge and see what you can make up. And people ask me that all the time. And I'm sure you have had it. All chefs have had that at some point. So it's like, it's such a fun concept and it's the home more so than ever. It connects the home to through TV, through media, and then brings those personalities into someone's home because everyone can relate. And mostly everyone can relate with all the different fridges that we had in the show. Like everyone can relate to it. So it, it's nice to see real chefs cooking with real ingredients. Because sometimes you see black garlic and white dialba truffle and uni and and caviar. And you're like, all right, like really like I got this in my fridge. No, I, I have <laughs> baking soda to help from the, the from that. I have Dijon that's been sitting there forever. And so it's cool to use these real ingredients and that you see in the show as well. How often are you surprised by what's inside these people's fridges or, or are you just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what I expected for a college kid? I mean, honestly, I, I think the show does a great job in, in representing at least what I personally would think would be in the fridges. Once you see the outside, you see the, uh, you know, the avid outdoor goer, the, you see the college student, you see the bachelor, you see the partier and you, and you're like, all right, here's what I think would be in it. And typically as a chef, we're guessing, and I remember me and Jamika and I, we would be on the show guessing what's in there. And we'd always get at least like two to five ingredients regardless every single time. Mm. And it's fun because it's accurate. It's real. These are real people. And the, and it, it, it's a unique challenge that I've never seen on a cooking show. And I think that's what we need to keep it fresh and also to keep us engaged. And I think this show is definitely up there for that. What, what's the strangest ingredient you've encountered on the show? And what's the most common? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the most common is just going to be like, you're, there's always going to be some sort of vegetables. Even if you're like, not like, let's say you're just a meat fanatic, you're going to have some sort of garlic, onion, fennel, carrot, celery piece in there. So you're always going to, regardless, you can always rely on some sort of veg, which is going to come forth through throughout everyone. Um, there was, there was definitely a couple, I, I actually may have been on the recent episode. I don't remember because I don't know where the ingredients came from, but one of them was like this like meat or something from the South. And it was like this meat dish. I don't remember what it was, but it's fun because as a chef learning about these ingredients from different cultures and regions within the, the United States is fun because I don't know what that is. And I, I, like I said, I love being exposed to new things. What's the most impressive dish that you've tasted on the show? Oh, there's there's a bunch. There's definitely a bunch. Like I've had like I, I just I just remember just even just tasting tacos or just tasting. I remember there was this one kind of like maple glazed uh like vegetable dish that i have from one of the chefs i remember it's just impressive to see how creative and unique and also the depth of flavor that you can get in that amount of time with ingredients that you typically wouldn't use 
And it's different from, um, you know, a show like Chopped where like black box cooking is what we call it in the industry where like you don't know what you're having or cooking and then you have to create something with it. It's different because these are like everyday items. Mm. And I think that that resonates with mostly everyone watching because these are things that everyone has. So it, it helps get people more creative. And I've just, I don't remember specific dishes. I just remember being blown away by the flavors that the chefs could actually create. And you recently shared what's in your fridge on Instagram. You had some butter, uh, lots of spicy condiments, lots of hot sauce, a lot of leftovers, and some very old, pretty much rotten bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what kind of dish could a contestant really make with the ingredients found in your fridge? In my fridge, you're always going to find, yes, you're going to find leftovers. That's a, that's a number one. And it's funny because people think as a chef that I'm going to be cooking crazy gourmet meals day in and day out. Fun fact, not the case. I love cooking, but I know what flavors I'm going to garner with myself. I don't need to make those. Yes, I'll, I'll set time aside to be creative, but I, I pretty much know if I'm going to make a steak, what the steak's going to taste like. So I love to order. So that's why you're going to have all those leftovers. So you, you're going to have anything from like leftover spring rolls to pho to ramen to like some sort of fried rice dish. Sometimes some or always, always dumplings in there, but then you're also going to have like old fatty cheesy sandwiches, maybe some spaghetti <laughs> and, parm and eggplant parm. In my fridge, you're also going to have some of those fruits because I like to blend and make smoothies. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like fruit gets lost in the fridge. It's a big fridge. You get busy. You don't know where it goes and you pull out a black banana. So <laughs> I think you're definitely in my fridge, if you're going to cook with it, get ready to see spice and get ready to use some ingredients you've probably never heard of before. <laughs> Just in general, you know, what staples do you recommend people kind of having on hand if they want to, you know, kind of experiment a little bit more, cook a little bit more? That's a really good question. I think if you're going to have, if you want to experiment or just, you know, you have, you like to cook and you don't know what to keep, keep things that are obviously shelf stable. But I would say experiment with different types of hot sauces. That way you can get your palate used to the variations of different, the capsaicin in different peppers. So like start there and just, you know, a lot of people don't like spice. So now here's a way to kind of test it with yourself. That's one. Number two, I, I'd, I always love to have some sort of pickled or brined substance, whatever it is, capers, pickles, um, pickled onions, whatever it is in there, because A, it, it lasts a long time and it adds a nice acidic element to sometimes balance out certain things that are sweet or, or spicy. So I think that's like also a fun way to go about it. And then I also, you have to have a fat. So whether it's like lard, whether it's margarine, butter, whatever, you got to have some sort of fat in there because I grew up, fat is flavor especially when we, when we talk about cooking. I always have some sort of like creaminess, whether it's like straight cheese, shredded, grated Parmesan, a whole block of Reggiano, creme fraiche, sour cream, yogurt. I always have those things in there because those can help round out flavors. They help kind of prolong a, a, an immense flavor that you like to have and it round, rounds it out. And it also, once again, it's fat and it tastes delicious. You're obviously no stranger to being on TV. You hosted Late Night Eats. We've seen you as a judge on Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay, Worst Cooks in America. Do you feel more at home as a host or a judge or maybe a contestant? You know, what's funny. As a contestant, I've never won anything ever. <laughs> like, like straight up ever. So if you, if you want me, if you know you want someone to win, just hire me because I guarantee I will come in second as a contestant. <laughs> just killed my competitive ego, by the way. Oh, but, sure. Uh, but when we're talking about a judge, I think judging is incredible because you get to come, like it's a full circle thing as a contestant. So I, I'm so appreciative and so grateful anytime I'm asked back as a judge. And then, you know, hosting is fun because you get to experience everything without the pressures of it. Yeah. So 
they all they all have their their highs and their lows. But I would say, you know, I'm as I've moved, I've, I would say I'm hosting more than I'm judging now. I just adore it because I like to share my perspective and my enthusiasm and love for food with people. And I think the best way to do that is through hosting. What What is your philosophy as a judge in, in trying to kind of shape that feedback so it's constructive for contestants? That's a great question because typically I'm, I'm really harsh. Like, and, you know, in, in a kitchen and as a chef, I have high expectations and I demand a lot and I've seen what greatness is through my own training. So I expect that if you're going to be trying to deliver and try to win $10,000 or move on to a next round or open your own restaurant or what, what have you, I'm pretty tough. So I think for me, my challenge is trying to not be as tough and treat the contestants the way I was treated in kitchens growing up, because believe me, it wouldn't fly <laughs> actually. <laughs> so it's mainly just tempering my expectations and turning my criticisms into constructive feedback for them. Because sometimes yeah. I'll eat something or I'll see something and I'm just like, no, get the hell out of here with that garbage. And like, and, <laughs> and then everyone's like, Jordan, you got to come on. You, like, you can't you, say that. You got to, you got to <laughs> give them something. I'm just like, fine, here's what I saw. And like, and then I'll have to do it. But it's funny because, because I'm happy, go lucky, energetic, outgoing, like people don't expect me to be like a harsh critic when it comes to my food, but not just my food, any sort of business that I do, whatever I'm doing, I expect greatness. I expect effort and I expect people to deliver with the passion that I do. So, and I lead yeah. by example. Do you think that that tough love comes from your dad? That tough love comes from my dad without a doubt, but it also comes <laughs> from all the chefs that I grew up with Okay, in kitchens. Cause when I say grew up with, I literally worked with some of the best chefs in the world all before the age of 21. That's wild. Yeah. Like I definitely took a lot of that with me and that kind of expectation of greatness, but I've also come to realize that, you know, that was a different time. This is a different world that we live in now. And it's it's unfair for people or for you to expect people to see things through a certain lens because A, maybe they don't want to, which is I respect, or maybe just because they haven't been exposed to it. So you got to be patient. And that's something that I've learned as I've grown as well. Well, clearly, you know, the, the cooking part, you know, came naturally to you. What about TV? Did that come naturally or did you have a little stage fright at first? I, no, funny. I've never had stage fright. I love doing TV because I don't care. And like, and I care, <laughs> but I really don't care. Like if... If someone comes at me and they say something negative about me online or even to my face, I'm just like, all right, that's your opinion. Respect it. Peace. And I just kind of move on. And like, and then if I hear that same criticism multiple times, I'm like, okay, well, ding, ding. Maybe there's some, a trend here that's happening. Maybe you should listen. Honestly, even on the good side, hey, you did a great job. Thanks. But um, I also brush it off. I'm just like, all right, like whatever. Like uh, both are going to come when it comes to TV or even just be on camera. So for anyone listening that is, you know, filming something on the computer, on the phone, or in front of a big studio. It's like, just be you, be your best authentic version of you. And if people don't like it, then maybe you're in the wrong industry. But also people are going to resonate with a more authentic version of yourself. So me not caring is that's truly what I am. So I was like, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say whatever I want to say, and I'm going to say it and I'm going to continue moving on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like sit here and criticize myself and, and think about all the things I could have done better when, all right, that's in the can, that's done. Let's move on and try to improve and be better the next day. And, and, and that's how I look at being on TV. Well, it's a it's a lot of fun to watch. We're looking forward to seeing the rest of the episodes for Raid the Fridge. And this has been so much fun chatting with you. We're going to we're going to finish things off with some rapid fire questions and then one final question for you. I love, so, I love rapid fire. Go. OK, let's go. Personal mantra. Work hard, not smart. Or, sorry. Yeah, actually, it's, that's probably what it is. Work hard, not smart. <laughs> 
What are you reading or watching right now? Watching clickbait on Netflix, reading. It's right here. The new Anthony Bourdain book that his publisher kind of redid with uh, posthumous uh, on on, with with his words. A favorite restaurant in New York City aside from your own. That's such a tough one. I'm going to name multiple New York restaurants. Great NY Noodle Town, Lartuzzi, and Los Tacos number one. What about go-to spot for late night eats? Actually, the Great NY Noodle Town or Halal Guys. Oh, oh yeah. Halal Guys, if you're listening to this, I love you. And I have been since 2006. They're the best. Yeah, they're the best. What are you looking forward to most this year? This year, what I'm looking forward to most is growing and expanding my businesses to the point where I can call, I can say I have an empire. When you're not working, what's your favorite thing to do? When I'm not working, I love to work out. I love to be active. And I love more than anything in the world socializing. I need right. friends. I need going out and I need people around me. <laughs> and you need your dog, Nyoki. <laughs> what's Nyoki's favorite treat? Nyoki's favorite treat, without a doubt, are dehydrated chicken skins. Oh, okay. Loves them. Loves do, you, do you make those or do you buy them? I absolutely don't make them. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go viral for anything, what would it be? If I could go viral for anything, it would be something to do with championing Filipino culture or cuisine. What's your favorite flavor combination? Favorite flavor combination is acidic and spicy. So last question. We ask everybody the same question on Food Network Obsessed. Of course, everybody has a completely different answer. So this would be what's on the menu for your perfect food day. So we want to hear what you're eating for breakfast, what you're eating for lunch. If you can throw some snacks in there if you want. And then, of course, dinner and dessert. So there's no rules. You can you can travel, time travel, spend however much money you want. Uh, It's your day. Got it. Perfect food day. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to eat spam and bacon, eggs and rice. I described it earlier. So I'm just going to pan sear both of them, make some jasmine rice and then make three sunny set up eggs, six pieces of bacon, four pieces of spam with my dark mushroom soy, about half a tablespoon and then some sriracha. Mix that all up over the yolk. Eat that. That's my breakfast. For my midday snack, I'm going to have like a green smoothie. I Mm. love green. So give me celery, kale, uh, parsley, Green apple, lemon juice, some agave syrup, spinach, and and just blend that all up and give me some deliciousness. I love that as as a midday kind of like liquid snack. Then I'm going to have dim sum right after this. And okay. at dim sum, I'm going to have some hagao. I'm going to have some shumai. I'm going to have some paikwat. And then I'm going to have some of the uh, like the, the, the shrimp rolls and the soft, the softness with like the sweet mm-hmm. soy that. And then... For lunch, I'm going to go to two places. I'm going to go to the Halal Guys and get a mixed over rice platter with extra white and four drips of the hot sauce because it is super hot if you ever go, be careful. (laughs) And then after that, once I let that settle, I'm going to go over to Los Tacos number one and get um, the pork adobada quesadilla tacos con todo with maíz. From there, I'm going to have a post- lunch snack. I'm going to go have soup dumplings. I love Shaolong Pao. Mm. Pretty much anywhere that you can get them. Just give me like 14 pieces and I'll have all 14 <laughs> immediately. Then I'm going to go to dinner and I'm going to go to either... I'm just sticking to New York for now, but I'm going to go to Via Carota or Lartuzzi. Mm. I want some Italian. I want some fresh insalata verde and I want some cacio e pepe, but I also want some whipped ricotta and I want... I want Take me to... Transport me to Italy, baby. Give yes. me, give me all of that. And then for that's my pre dinner. And then, okay. my, and then, <laughs> and then my post dinner, I'm going to go somewhere like this place called Pho Hung in Toronto and it's Vietnamese. So I want mm. some pho and I want some 
vermicelli noodle salad with some sauteed onion, sliced beef, and a fried crispy spring roll with a with a sweet chili sambal, sweet chili honey mm-hmm. sauce right all, all all over that. And then I'm gonna break that up with a avocado milkshake, also from <laughs> also from the same place. Okay. And then I will immediately fly back to New York, have a slice of Joe's pizza, and then drive to Philly and have a cheesesteak, and then. <laughs> finally late, and then late <laughs> this night is epic, by this the is way. epic and then late night i'm gonna go to great noodle town and i'm gonna order crispy pan fried noodle with a seafood slurry salt and crispy fried pork chop with ginger scallion sauce and a salted cod fried rice with szechuan chili paste on the side i'm gonna have all that together and then i'm gonna finish this with a pint of matcha ice cream and uh, some late night sushi oh it's <laughs> late night sushi <laughs> You did not skip a beat through all of that. That was definitely the most, I think that's the most food we've ever (laughs) received on an answer for that question. So congratulations for that. Um, Congratulations on the new show. And thanks so much for for taking the time. This has been so much fun. Of course, Jamie, it's good seeing you. And uh, thanks for having me, everyone. Uh, What a way to start the year with such a warm and friendly interview and such an epic food day. I love Jordan's energy. Can't wait to see that Michelin star one day. You can catch more of Jordan on Raid the Fridge Tuesdays at 10, 9 central on Food Network. Thanks so much for listening and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.